Let, let's pray together, shall we? Loving God, we are grateful for the privilege we have to study together again. Thank you for camp meeting and the blessings that it is to your children. And we ask that you bless us and give us uh, your spirit to understand. In Jesus' name we pray it and thank you. Amen. Amen. All right. We were talking yesterday about Eden to Eden. The beginning to the new beginning. And that God has an, an ordained, established order of things. Is that correct? Uh, in fact, it's interesting. If you read carefully the Bible and you read the counsels that God gave through Mrs. White, uh, you will find that she says that everything that God made to the minutest atom is synchronized, functions in a synchronized manner, all under the divine guidance of the Almighty. And uh, recently, uh, the... There's been a, a lot of exploration into space. And Anderson Cooper, I just heard the other day, did a presentation, a, what is it, 30-minute presentation on a uh, satellite that's been gone now for 40 years and still taking pictures. And that scientists have discovered beyond their comprehension things that are out there that they never thought were out there. So... So the reality is, as the Bible says, that God has expanded the heavens and, and there's no searching out of all that God has done. And that, that where they thought there were only a few galaxies, now they have discovered that there are thousands and thousands and thousands of galaxies. And every galaxy has millions and millions of stars. Do you hear what I said? And to, and to think that who is in charge? God is. All right. So, God has a system by which he operates, and that gives us comfort. I don't know about you, but when he says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, it knows that you can trust in something. You can depend on something that's consistent. You know that he changes not. And no matter what happens, you know that in spite of what we think and how we feel and all that, ultimately... God is consistent. All right. Now, today I want to cover another particular presentation. You know, we can get rid of it. And that is with the teacher's permission who uh, uses this. So with your permission, I'm going to move you. How's that? I'll put it down here. Is that better? Okay. All right. So... Today I'm going to deal with a subject that's become controversial. But I want to show you the consistency of the scriptures concerning that. It's um, the Holy Spirit. And what? The Holy Spirit. Now, I skipped. I started out with the Word. The next presentation is the, God, the, the, the Godhead, showing that the Godhead is consistently found throughout the entire Bible. Then uh, the next one is the Father. The next one is the Son. And then finally the Holy Spirit. So you, I've skipped three. Now, skip three on purpose because I only have so many presentations to make with you. All right. But this particular topic has been uh, somewhat of an enigma to some people and uh, has become recently controversial um, that people have concluded other than what we as a people have understood and believed uh, for, for years and years and years. Uh, for example, uh, you know that Jehovah's Witnesses 
have their particular slant on the Bible. And uh, when it comes to Christ, they think he's a created being rather than that he was, he, indeed, he is God, not a God, not small g. Uh, one day I was studying with, a, um, I was teaching a group of kids doing evangelism, Chad Cruiser. I don't know how many of you have heard of Chad Cruiser. Uh, young man, anyway, uh, he was one of the young men that I was training. And he happened to come across a lady who was Jehovah's Witness. And that Jehovah's Witness lady had been in the church for 35 years. This is a long-standing JW, right? So uh, he felt a little ill-prepared to deal with her, so he, he called me up and he said, could I help him? Sure, so I went to visit the lady. But I already knew their strategy, so I avoided the, their strong points because you can just beat your head with them and, and they'll never move from their position. So I dealt with something that they don't know very well, and that is on the Holy Spirit. And so I asked her, I said, uh, according to your understanding, what or who is the Holy Spirit? Well, she said it's an essence, like a current, electricity. So I said, well, uh, would you please turn with me to Acts chapter 10? And so she did. And then I asked her to read one of the verses in Acts chapter 10. You remember the story that Peter had uh, a vision? You remember that? And the thing was laid before him three times. You recall that? And there were all manner of unclean things. And uh, then Peter said, uh, did not understand. Peter did not what? Understand. Did not understand. So, since Peter did not understand, the Spirit of God, it says, that the Holy Ghost came and said to Peter, Peter, arise and get thee down. For there are three men that are looking for you. Go and ask no question, for I have sent them. So she read it. So I said, who's speaking? Well, I said, the Lord is speaking. I said, well, did you read it carefully? Because she read it with her eyewitness, her Jehovah's Witness eyeglasses. I said, uh, would you please read it again and, be, and read it more carefully? She said, all right. And then all of a sudden, it hit her like a ton of bricks. She said, I said, who's speaking? She said, why, it says it's the Holy Ghost. I said, does that sound like a current or like a person? She said, like a person. And then the tears began to flow. And she said, is this why I've been feeling uncomfortable all these years about what they've been teaching me? I said, yes. She said, the Spirit of God has brought to your attention certain truths that are not in harmony with the teaching of JWs, and because you have thought that the Spirit was a current, you didn't realize that it's the voice of God speaking to your conscience. And therefore, you were just laying them aside because this was not the, spirit, the, the, the voice of God. But now you realize that the voice of God speaking to you through the Holy Ghost, as he spoke to Peter, is not an essence or a current. It's a person. She said, what do I do? I said, well, accept the truth. I said, would you mind kneeling down with me and asking God to forgive you? 
She said, yes. So we knelt down. And that lady, while she wept, she prayed that God would forgive her for turning a deaf ear to the voice of the Spirit all these years. And that night she attended the evangelistic meeting that Chad was trying to get her to come to, and she was refusing. She attended, and Chad passed out the decision card, and she ran out to the parking lot to find me, and as soon as she found me, she took the decision card and put it before my face. And it was, I decided to be baptized. <laughs> All right? So, the, the, the issue of, of the Spirit of God <coughs> is something that has become controversial, but I think we can trace it, pardon me, <coughs> from the beginning. From where? Beginning. From the beginning. So, uh, we begin. I already had prayer with you all, right? Yes. Do you remember that? Yes. How many of you remember I prayed? How many of you don't remember I prayed? How many of you don't want to raise your hand? <laughs> all right. Let's pray again. Our Father, as we study your word, we pray for your guidance and wisdom and for your spirit to speak to us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the beginning, the Bible mentions that there is a spirit in verse 2. Now, I'm not going to make any more statements in that about that. But you should know that in the beginning, the Bible introduces something called the Spirit. And it simply says, and the Spirit, what does it say there? Huh? Spirit of God, what did he do? He hovered over the face of the waters. Okay. Okay, now. Notice that it's, it begins with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it says, and the Spirit of God did what? Hover. Now, what's interesting about that is that just as we find the Spirit mentioned in the beginning, He is also mentioned in the new beginning. And in Genesis 22, verse 17, uh, pardon me, Revelation 22, verse 17, notice that it says, again, and the spirit and the bride say what? They come. And let them that hear. Let them that hear do what? Let them that hear do what? Read it. Because most of you misquote it. I only heard a few quote it correctly. Yeah, there's a word, little word, say come, right? And the spirit of the bride and the bride say come, and then in that here, say come. Which means then that obviously this particular spirit and this bride must be a living entity because it is asking the hearer to do the same thing that is done by the spirit and the bride. The spirit and the bride say come, and let them that here do the same thing. Say Come. So how many of you should be inviting others? All of, us. All of us. That's correct. All right. So we find him in the creation and we find him mentioned in the new creation. That's interesting. What do you say? Amen. All right. Now, which means then that if you can find him in the beginning and you can find him in a new beginning, you should be able to find him all the way through. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. So. We then take, take you through 
the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. There's a lot of mention of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. So I'm not going to go through every verse that's there, but you can take a concordance, either a Young's or Strong Concordance, and you can look those up to see how many times the Holy Spirit or Spirit is used in the Old Testament. But just suffice to let you know that there are several, several instances. We know that the Spirit is mentioned in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3. Where? But it only says, my spirit shall not always strive with flesh. Correct? My spirit shall not strive with flesh. However, if you go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 to 20, it tells you who that spirit is. Because Genesis is, sub is, is subject to argument. Because it only says, my spirit shall not always strive with flesh. And those who are anti-Trinitarian say, well, it says my spirit, which means is, this is the attitude of God toward people. All right? That's the argument. You hear that? Yes. However, 1 Peter, turn to 1 Peter. If you're not there yet, catch up with me. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verses 18 through 20. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 20. Now, this particular passage is in my book, because it's one of those passages that's misinterpreted and misused. So quickly notice what it says. It says then that Christ also suffered. Do you see that? And then it says that he, he did what? Somebody read it for me. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. You have a good strong voice, my brother, but you don't have the right translation. That's okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, so a lot of people use that to say that when Christ died, he went down to hell and preached to people who were spirits in prison. Okay, you've heard that, right? However, however, if they stop there, they can come to that erroneous conclusion. But if they read the next verse, then they have to change their conclusion. Notice it starts by, with, what's the word it starts with? By. by which, what does that mean? If you add that to the last verse that you just read, and then it says, by which also, what does that mean? Huh? By which also? In other words, Christ preached to the spirits in prison, right? By what? By the Holy Spirit. And then it says, by which also, right? In other words, what it's saying is that the preaching was not done by Christ himself, but by the Spirit. When was that preaching done? What does it say? Next verse. While what? While the ark was being prepared. So when was this preaching done? When Jesus died or while the ark was being prepared? Okay. So while the ark was being prepared, the Holy Spirit then preached to the spirits in prison. And the word spirits in prison simply means that the sinners were being preached to by Christ through the spirit in the days of Noah. And that's why in Genesis it says, my spirit shall not always strive with flesh. So the spirit was the one who was actually speaking to the hearts of the people. Christ was using the spirit to reach the people in the days of Noah. You see that? Yep. Is, is that clear? 
or am I twisting it? Yeah, it's, it's very clear that the preaching was done at the time of Noah. Is that correct? So what it's sharing with us is that the, the gospel has always been preached to everybody. To how many? Everybody. everybody. Even in the days of Noah, the gospel was being preached to those people. And the problem was that they did not accept the invitation. So Christ did the preaching through the Spirit. Holy Spirit in the days of Noah. Noah. And that's what that verse is actually saying. Rather than that, when Jesus died, he went down to preach in hell to some, some spirits down there. Who was preaching? Noah? Huh? Noah was preaching. Well, there was a spirit that was preaching through Noah. Noah. Yeah. That's correct. But you have to remember that even though we preach, it is the spirit of God that makes efficacious our preaching. In other words, I can talk to you until I'm blue in the face. But if the Spirit of God uses what I'm saying and speaks to your heart, then while it is the human instrument being used, ultimately it's the Spirit of God that brings and makes sense in the mind of the person. Okay? So, we know then that Joseph was a young man that was filled with the, with the Spirit of God. It says in uh, Genesis 41, 38, then it tells us in Exodus 28 and verse 3 that the Spirit of God gave wisdom. Gave what? Wisdom, wisdom to certain, certain men. To do what? To make the special apparel and to make the articles, furniture, and all that of the sanctuary. They, they were given divine spiritual enlightenment so that those men became workmen uh, efficient to do the work that was necessary to prepare a place where God wanted to dwell with him. So in chapter 25, he said, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. But then God chose a few men and gave them the special ability that they needed to know how to work with silver, with gold, etc. Okay, so that's found in Genesis, Exodus chapter 28 and verse 3. And 31 and verse 3. So we find then that the Spirit of God is there. Also we find that when it comes to guiding the nation as a people, Moses was the one doing all the counseling, and God then finally told uh, Moses that he needed to select elders. Select what? Elders. elders. And so the elders were selected, and in Numbers chapter 11, verse 17, and 25 to 26, we find then that those elders that were selected were then given the portion of the Spirit upon them and they began to prophesy. They began to what? Prophesy. So we can see then that the Spirit is there. And by the way, back in the book of Genesis, it's interesting that most people don't realize that the gift of tongue was not the first time given in Acts. First time of the gift of tongue was in the book of Genesis. That true? Yeah. In the Tower of Babel, when they were building the Tower of Babel, they began to speak with other, other languages. And it was supernaturally done. It was what? Yeah. Supernaturally done. So the gift of tongues was, was not registered first in the book of Acts. It was registered first in the book of Genesis. But sometimes we miss that, and so it's good to... Connect the dots. All right, now, 
If you notice so far uh, that the Spirit of God also in the book of Judges is similar to the book of Acts. Because the book of Judges focuses on the Spirit of God constantly being there working with the judges. For example, Othniel, Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson. Uh, to which the Spirit of God is the one that gave them wisdom or gave them courage or gave them superhuman power. Uh, all of this was done by the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, just like in the book of Acts, that it mentions the Holy Ghost continuously, the book of Judges also focuses on the work of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have read through the book of Judges? Do you know what I'm talking about then? It constantly says that the Spirit of God came upon him, and the Spirit of God did this through him. So the, the Holy Spirit then was present in the times of the Judges in the Old Testament. So we're speaking then basically uh, of around 1,200 years before Christ. Okay? Because we know 1,400 years before Christ was when Moses wrote that uh, the, the, the first five books of the Bible, and then from there they continued to write more, and the judges took place after that the people of, of God entered into the land of Canaan, and after they settled down, they divided the land in, into the tribes and all that, but there were no uh, rulers other than God himself. And as you remember, then they finally decided that they didn't want that anymore. They wanted to be like the other nations, so they wanted to have a king like the other nations. Okay, so we see then that we are taking it from the year 4000 B.C. about, and we have already gone to about 1200 years B.C., which means then that there's, there's a, a good period of time in the Old Testament that the Spirit of God is revealed, all right? But as you continue then, uh, we find out that the Spirit of God also has the ability to change the human heart. To do what? Change, change the human heart. And Samuel was a, a man who was a prophet, who was acquainted with the Spirit of God, and let's turn to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 10, and you can see there verse 6 and 10. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6 and 10. Uh, when, when, when uh, King Saul, or when Saul actually came to Samuel, and he was looking for his uh, lost uh, animals from his father's flock, and finally he came across the prophet, and the prophet uh, was called in those days a seer. Hey, what? Here. According to 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 9, it says, Before time in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, thus he spake, Come, let us go to the seer, for he that is now called a prophet was before time called a seer. One that sees into the future. Okay? So, then in chapter 10, we find then that, that Saul comes to Samuel, and Samuel then makes a statement. If you notice verse 6, are you there? 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6. And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shall be turned into another man. Notice then that Samuel is very clear about the reality that there's a spirit. There's a what? Spirit. spirit. And he's very clear then that this spirit will give Saul and change him into another man. Man, all right. Now notice verse 10. 
And when they came thither to the hill, behold, a company of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. You see that? But verse 9, it's a very, very important verse here. And it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart, and all those signs came to pass that day. And when they came thither to the hill, a company of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. So, notice then that first it says the Spirit of God, then it says God, and then it returns back to the Spirit. Have you noticed that? What does that mean? Hmm? Talking about the same person. Talking about the same person. That's exactly right. And God, synonymous terms. That's correct. Talking about the same person, but in one place it says the Spirit of God, then it says God, and then because at first it says, the Spirit of God shall come upon you and you shall be changed into another man, right? Mm -hmm. Then in verse 9 it says, and God, what did what? Gave him another heart, right? And then verse 10, 10, it says then, that the Spirit came upon him and he prophesied. So it's clear then that in the Old Testament, there's clarity concerning the Spirit of God as not just a, uh, an essence or current, but about an entity that is constantly in operation, in cooperation with God. Now, as we go from here, uh, we know that David is acquainted with the Spirit of God. And uh, in 1 Samuel 16, it speaks about this Holy Spirit again. And in 2 Samuel 23 and Psalm 51, in fact, uh, David, after his mistake, pleads with God that God will not take away his spirit from him. So, it's interesting then that the prophets understood that there was a separate entity. It was a what? Separate, separate entity. There was God and there was the... Holy Spirit, which was also called God. So, we continue on then. We know Elijah and Elisha were men that were filled with the Spirit. But Elisha prayed that he would receive how much? A double portion of the Spirit of God. And so it was granted unto him. So, we're seeing and tracing then through the Bible... Uh, this time, uh, we're, we're around the year 900 to 800 B.C. So, then, of course, Isaiah. Isaiah is written around uh, 550 B.C. So, as we're coming closer to Christ, we still see evidence through the Old Testament all the way to about 550 B.C. that, that the Spirit of God is mentioned. Let's turn to Isaiah 59, verse 21. And... Uh, and then compare with Acts, because sometimes the New Testament is a commentary on the Old Testament. Isaiah 59 and verse 21. Who would like to read that out loud? Yes, go ahead. Okay, so my spirit shall be on you. Now go to Acts 28 and verse 25. This is a commentary on Isaiah. Chapter 28, verse 25. Isaiah 28, verse 25. Okay, well spoke who? Isaiah. The Holy Ghost. All right. To Isaiah's. Isaiah's. <laughs> it was just spelled a little bit different than in the Isaiah. Old Testament. Ah. In the Old Testament, it's Isaiah. Sometimes, for example, 
In the Old Testament, it's Jeremiah. Sometimes in the New Testament, it's called Jeremy. Okay. Jeremy. Same, same prophet. All right? So, so, according to Acts chapter 28, who is actually speaking in Isaiah chapter 59? The Holy Ghost. See that? Can you see that? Yes or no? But it's saying, thus speaks the Holy Ghost. Right? Now, we continue on, and we come to uh, several verses in Isaiah. I won't read them all, but all of these have to do with the Spirit of God uh, in the days of the major prophets, as well as in the days of the minor prophets. Yes, sir. The Jews are unfortunately confused. And the reason why there's confusion is because the Jews have so added to the scriptures, and I mean added to the scriptures, that they basically have, have uh, relied upon tradition rather than, than the scriptures. They quote the scriptures when it comes to, this, to the actual uh, services, the read from the, from the Torah, uh, but this, for example, they're expecting three messiahs now, not one. So it, it's a really, really a sad uh, when you realize that uh, that the veil is not still not removed from them. Yeah, I was just I was just in the Netherlands a few um, couple of months ago, and I was speaking for the ASI uh, Europe Convention. And they put me in a hotel, and on Sabbath, I saw a bunch of Jews. Well, I'm Jewish. So, okay. uh, so, huh? That's okay. I'm with you. All right. So, I went to among them, you know. But, but the problem is that uh, some of them are, are not acquainted with Sephardic Jews. I'm a Sephardic Jew, okay? There are other Jews uh, that speak Yiddish. Mm -hmm. Sephardi Jews speak Ladino, which is a mixture of Spanish and Hebrew. And in fact, C Christopher Columbus, just a side uh, interest, Christopher Columbus was Jewish. He was, he was not Italian, nor was he Spanish. All the 200 plus letters that he wrote to his son were written in Ladino. But initially they thought he was very uneducated because he wrote poor Spanish until they discovered that it was not poor Spanish, it was Ladino that he was writing in, and he wrote to his son in Ladino only. And he always put a little, little uh, code on the letters to remind them of, of his son's Jewish roots. Okay? So, Columbus didn't speak a word of Italian, but he spoke Ladino. It's interesting that when Columbus went to America... He was actually looking for the ten lost tribes of Israel. And he took with him a translator who spoke Hebrew. Who happened to be a guy named Luis Torres. I'm giving you history, okay? okay? I'm serious. You Google it. Google Luis Torres slash Columbus. And you'll find that he took a translator with him named Luis Torres. Who was a, a, a Jew but who spoke Hebrew. And so Columbus thought that if he could find the 10 lost tribes of Israel, then he would at least have somebody who could speak Hebrew to them. 
Huh? Uh, probably, 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 who knows, <laughs> all right, uh, but, but you, uh, yeah, so you can go, you can Google that, Lewis Torres slash Columbus, and you'll see what I'm talking about, it's in the encyclopedias, it's just that a lot of people miss it, okay, but the, the reality is that, that the Jews spoke uh, in, in Spain. They were in Spain for 800 years, okay? When Jonah wanted to go away from God, he wanted to go to Tarsus. Tarsus is a city in Spain. Okay. All right? Nineveh was over there in Iraq. Tarsus was over there in Spain. So he went the complete opposite direction to get away from God. But he got himself into a world of a problem. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we continue on then, and we can see then that the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and that I, I should tell you this, and I'm not saying this because I'm a chauvinist. I'm saying this because this is what the Bible shows. All the writers of the Bible were male. There was one, not one female writer of the Bible. The reason I'm stating this is because recently I was in, in a certain meeting with some scholars and a scholar brought up that, I, I made a statement that only males wrote the Bible. And the scholar said, well, there's good evidence that Esther wrote the book of Esther. So I was shocked with that and I wrote him a, a letter. And I, said, I told him, I said, I, I've looked far and wide, high and low. I've looked everywhere in the spirit of prophecy in the Bible. I spoke to other scholars. I cannot come to any, any reference that Esther wrote the book of Esther. Can you please give me the evidence? Because he said there's good evidence, right? Well, he wrote and said, well, if it's true, it's debatable that Esther wrote the book of Esther. He's debatable. He's an intellectual, so he get away yeah, debatable, okay. So, but he said, but it's clear that Huldah wrote the book of, of the Bible and that Mary wrote the Bible. So I wrote back and I said, if I use your hermeneutics and your exegesis, then I have to say that, that Balaam wrote the Bible. I have to say that Pilate wrote the Bible. I have to say that Nebuchadnezzar wrote the Bible. And everybody was quoted in the Bible. Even the donkey wrote the Bible. So I said, it was not, not that they wrote the Bible. It was that they were subjects or objects of the writers who wrote the Bible. And so that's why it says, holy men spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And they try to change that holy men spake to holy persons spoke. They were trying to make it neuter. Make it what? Neuter. But the Bible is clear. Holy men spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now, as I said, I'm not a chauvinist. Uh, you know, I've been quoting Mrs. White, you know that I believe that whoever speaks from God, whether they're men or women or anybody, and we need to listen. Is that true? But we also need to be sure that we don't twist the Bible to come up with our own interpretation. If the Bible says the holy men spake, I accept it. Praise God that God used men. What do you say? Amen. I don't care who spoke it. You know, I grew up with my mother. I didn't have a father. So all the counsel that I got was from my mom. I don't care. I got good counsel. I got what? Good counsel. She always had good counsel for us. She would come up with things that just amazed us. Uneducated, little lady, about this tall, raising six boys in the ghettos of New York. 
and yet she had some wisdom. Uh, she would always say, to, like to us, you know, hurry up, you know, get going. And we would procrastinate, and she would say, El camarón que se duerme se lo lleva la corriente. That means the lobster that sleeps, the current will carry him away. <laughs> so, so get going, all right? So she, she had all of these sayings that I don't know where she came up with them, uh, but it certainly have stayed with us, all right? So anyway, God makes it plain that he chose people to communicate his wonderful counsel to us down here on earth. And I don't care which instrument God uses, the important thing is that God is the one communicating. What do you say? And he does it through his Holy Spirit. All right, now, Jesus himself then was filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's because of Jesus that you and I can receive the Holy Ghost. Amen. The Jews in the past received the Holy Ghost based upon the promise, and you and I received the Holy Ghost based upon the promise as well. They look forward, we look backwards. All in the cross. And Jesus was filled with the Spirit of God. In other words, of all people on the earth that were filled with the Spirit, Jesus was the one that was filled the, the, the greatest. And yet, it is plain then that he was anointed by the Holy Ghost, uh, according to Acts 10, verse 38, and uh, he was filled with the Spirit of God. So Jesus then is the link that brings to us the blessings of heaven. In fact, let me just share with you briefly. Acts chapter 2 is not about the Holy Ghost. Yeah, you can pick up your pencil and look at it. Yeah, what did I say? Acts chapter 2 is not about? Not the Holy Ghost. Now you're shocked. All right? Here's the reason I'm saying that. If you look at Acts chapter 2, you'll find that only the first 12 verses speak about the Holy Ghost. How many? The rest of the verses speak about Jesus. Speak about what? Jesus. Jesus. Now, you guys go home and study it, and you'll see what I'm talking about. All right? Verse 14 and on. The first 14, Peter says, This is what Joel the prophet said. The, if you read Acts chapter 2, you'll find that it's fulfilling a prophecy. And Mrs. White said, hear, hear this, and you can look at this statement up. Mrs. White says this, that the Holy Ghost was given to, to bring the attention of the people to the reality of what was happening in heaven. That at that moment when the Holy Ghost was given, Jesus was being sat on the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And to signal that event, the gift was sent. Pentecost. Yeah. To the Holy Ghost, when it gave the, 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 the ability to speak in languages, was an earthly event that pointed to a heavenly event. That was the sign of his inauguration. Well, just read it in Acts chapter uh, 10. Look at uh, verse 33 and on. Acts chapter 2, verse 33 and on. Acts chapter 2, verse 33 and on. You've got to hurry because uh, my time is running out. All right, if you, Acts chapter 2, verse 33 through 36. If you read that, that's the conclusion of, from verse 14 and on. And that says then that Jesus was crucified, that Jesus did die, that Jesus was buried, that Jesus ascended, 
and that Jesus was placed on the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And it says, this is why this has happened. Okay? Read it from verse 33 to 36. Because in 37, finally the men said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Because they're convicted in the heart. Okay? Now, in conclusion then, in the New Testament then, we find the Holy Spirit still working. Simeon and Anna are filled with what? We know that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. We know that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit. Is that true? Yes. So, the Holy Spirit did not cease at, before the cross. The Holy Spirit continued to work within the time constraints of Jesus, John the Baptist, and the disciples. The only difference is this, that because Jesus is going to heaven and he would no longer be able to do the kind of work he was doing before, he sent a replacement. A what? Replacement. A replacement. And that replacement, he says, I will send you another comforter to be with you. And that comforted with the Holy Spirit. All right? So that was promised that it would happen. And uh, he came on the day of Pentecost. And from that day forward, we find then a constant repetition of the work of the Holy Spirit. So the promise of the Holy Spirit is given. And we find then a constant, constant repetition through the book of Acts. Here are all the texts. You can take a picture of it. All the texts that have to do with the Holy Spirit and His work in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, okay? And you can see then, through all of this, that the Spirit of God is really now in charge of the work down here on earth as He worked with the disciples and with the believers, establishing churches, etc. Yes, sir. Simply, yeah, simply that He becomes more notable. More what? Notable. More notable. Because all the gifts that are mentioned in the New Testament are mentioned in the Old Testament. All right? The gift of wisdom, the, the uh, gift of healing, the gift of... The only one in the New Testament is not mentioned, the gift of strength. Only in the Old Testament is the gift of strength mentioned, not in the New Testament. The emphasis is great. Huh? The emphasis is great. The emphasis, exactly. Yes, ma'am. You're not missing anything because Jesus is speaking about himself comforting them. All right? But he says, I must go to my Father, therefore I'll send you another comfort. In other words, I'm comforting you, but I'm going to leave you. But I will not leave you comfortless, I'll send you a replacement. But the Holy Spirit was already there, wasn't it? But, yes, but not as prominent. Okay. Okay. The Holy Spirit has always been there. We can see it through the Old Testament, right? right. But not as a focal center person uh, directing the church as in the Old Testament he was there, but not as prominent as he was in the New Testament. And the reason for that is obviously Jesus then took the place of being a mediator in heaven and therefore it was necessary for the church to be guided. So, what's that? I'll let you do that in just a minute. Let me, let me put them all up and then you can take the picture of the whole thing, okay? The Holy Spirit is given to those who obey him. Who what? Obey, obey him. Now, let me just show you, uh, this is a list of the gifts that the Spirit of God gave, and there are only four places in the New Testament that mention the list, the list of gifts that are given. However, uh, here's the, the Spirit of God and the verses of Scripture that make it plain, plain that the Holy Spirit is not an essence. He has to be a person. If you notice then, He is called God. We already mentioned that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. He comforts, 
He testifies, he guides, he speaks, he commands, he gives power, he witnesses, he brings to remembrance, he referred to in personal pronoun he, he teaches, he reproves, he hears, he shows, he can be grieved, which means he has feelings, uh, he can be sinned against, which means then that he has authority, uh, and that authority cannot be messed with, and then he can be quenched from the heart. So just, just these verses alone reveal then that the Spirit of God is not an essence, but a thinking, functioning entity or person. And Mrs. White calls him the third person of the Godhead. And if you want, if you want, I'm writing now, uh, putting together a study on this with the Spirit of Prophecy quotes, because I'm only dealing with the Bible here. If you want, I can email you uh, the, that study to, to give you the statements where Mrs. White makes it plain that the Spirit is the third person person of the Godhead. She makes that, rep, uh, repeats it over and over again, okay? So, you can see then from the scriptures that the Spirit of God is alive and well. He plays a major role in the work of ministry, and it is through him that the cross of Christ becomes efficacious for us. It is through him that we feel conviction. So, Mrs. White says that Heaven communicates through electrical impulses of the brain. Through the what? Electrical. Through electrical impulses of the mind. So when you feel conviction, who is speaking to you? God. It is God, but it is the Spirit. Okay, God, the Holy Spirit. So when you understand truth, who's done that? It is the Holy Spirit. Your ability to perceive and understand spiritual things only comes through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, it is Christ who has given us that blessing by connecting us to the throne of heaven. And that's why Acts chapter 2 is important. It's not important in reference to thinking that it's about the Holy Ghost. Because Jesus himself said that the Holy Ghost will come to glorify Jesus. So if he came to glorify Jesus, it doesn't make sense that everybody is glorifying the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2. What makes sense is that the Holy Ghost is glorifying Christ in Acts chapter 2. And that's why it's clear that this P Peter is led by the Spirit of God to point to those prophecies of, Dan of, of Daniel, pardon me, of uh, Joel and the prophecies of David, two prophets, to make it clear then that what was taking place at the day of Pentecost was that the Holy Ghost was trying to bring attention through the gifts to something lofty taking place in heaven. And that was that Jesus was sitting on the throne. What do you say? Amen. And so all of that comes to us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I thank God that finally in the ultimate sense, it is the Spirit of God who will continue to work with us. And Mrs. White says that the, the, the greatest need that we have today as a people is the Spirit of God. This is our greatest need. Because through the Spirit of God, our sensibilities become sharpened. We can detect truth from error, and we can be led in the path of righteousness. Without the Spirit of God, we're lost. We have no way to determine what's right or wrong, and we're left to our own wanderings. That's why we need the Spirit of God in our lives. And so I feel bad that some of our people, Adventists, for example, are beginning to call the Spirit of God an essence or a current, or he's not, the, he's not the third person of the Godhead, because they don't realize that they are fulfilling what Jesus said not to do. 
He that speaks against me will be forgiven, but he that speaks against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven, no, not here, nor in the life to come. We need to be careful how we deal with the things of God. Yes, ma'am. We need to spend more time on our knees and study more and share more. That's why it says in the Spirit of the Bride, say, come and let them that hear, say, come. It's interesting that the last message given by the Holy Spirit are two. One, for the people to witness, and the Spirit of God say, said, the Bride of and the Spirit say, come, let them that hear, say, come. And the last prayer in the Bible is, even so come Lord Jesus. That's Revelation chapter 2 and the last verse. Let's pray together. Lord, we are grateful for all that you revealed to us through your scriptures. We pray that your spirit will be with each one of us. Oh God, pass us not by. You promised that you will pour out your spirit and make us recipients, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.